Thank you, Sandy, for that ministry of music. I'm sure that many of you are familiar with the Rorschach inkblot test. It's a psychological tool that's used to try to ascertain the thinking of an individual. Uh, a series of ink blots are shown to an individual, and they are to give their immediate response as to what they see in these ink blots. And that response is to be a window into their thinking to help the counselor better understand the thought process of the counselee. Well, this morning we are given pictures to look at of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our response to those pictures proved to be a window into our soul and our spiritual thinking. The key verses in this particular section are verses 5 and 14. Jesus therefore came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Then verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. The picture is Jesus standing before the Jewish leaders and repeatedly they're encouraged to look at Jesus. What did Pilate want them to see? He literally wanted them to stare at Jesus. What was to be achieved by that? What was to be the outcome? What was intended? Well, ultimately, it was a means by which Pilate was hoping that Jesus would be released. He was hoping that as the crowd looked upon Jesus, that they would move from the place of crying out, crucify, to seek the pardon of Jesus. So what were they to see? Well, first, they were to see the humility of Jesus. Look at verses 1 through 6. John chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews! And to give him blows in the face. And Pilate came out and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Jesus therefore came out, wearing the crown of thorns, and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. So what are we to see as Jesus stands before us, as it were? What was the crowd to see when Jesus was formally presented to them by Pilate? Well, first, they were to see a man that was severely beaten. Verse 1. Therefore, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Now, Pilate didn't do this himself, but he had it done. He commissioned it. And so it was seen as ultimately his act. It was his decree to have Jesus scourged. 
Now, what does that mean? There's some argument as to how severe this particular beating was. I say this particular beating because Jesus received a number of beatings. And some see this as being the ultimate scourging and some not. But it was a severe beating. And if it was the ultimate scourging, we know that he was ultimately scourged by the Synoptic Gospels. Then it meant that Jesus would have been beaten by an instrument that had a long wooden handle, had leather straps that came off of the handle, and embedded on those leather straps were pieces of of bone and metal, intended to just lay open the skin when it was hit. And Jesus would have been repeatedly beaten with this instrument of destruction. Many people died under scourging. In some ways, it's remarkable that Jesus lived. But he survived the scourging. But he would have been nothing but raw meat. So they were to see a man that was beaten. Secondly, they were to see a a person who was cruelly mocked. Mocked with symbols of kingship. As the soldiers wove a crown of thorns. And the crown of thorns was not simply like our rosebuds and their thorns. But these would have been thorns about six inches long. They would have been matted down on his forehead. Piercing the skin. Causing great pain. So he received this crown of thorns. And was arrayed in a purple robe. All as a mockery. Because Jesus claimed to be this king. Not only was he mocked with symbols, but he was mocked with words. For we find in verse 3, Hail, King of the Jews. It was the same attestation that the Roman soldiers would have given to Caesar. They were saying, instead of hail to Caesar, hail to Jesus, the King of the Jews. And they mocked him with cruel actions, verse 3. And to give him blows in the face. If you read the parallel accounts, not only did they strike him in the face, but they actually spit upon him. They spit in his face. Other passages, they pulled out the hair of his beard. Awful, cruel mockeries of Jesus. One cannot adequately describe what Jesus went through. We have to have a sense of awe and amazement that Jesus tolerated this kind of behavior towards himself. What humility. What humility. I don't know if you've ever been spit in the face. I have. I remember one time I was out and I was doing visitation, evangelistic visitation. I was knocking on doors in order to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. I knocked on a certain door. Door opened. I began to tell the person that I was there to share with them the Lord Jesus Christ. And the man was chewing tobacco and he just gave me a wad in the face. Deep down inside, I was incensed. I can't tell you how angry I was. I felt like I'd never been so humiliated in my life. By the grace of God, I took it. But I'll tell you, deep down inside, I wanted to hit that guy. 
I was mad. And I left in anger. It's amazing that Jesus allowed himself to be humiliated in this way. Especially when you think and know that he's the Son of God. Remember in the Old Testament that uh, when the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol, that's all it was, it was a symbol of the presence of God. That Ark of the Covenant was to be transported on people's shoulders. There were rings at each of the four corners and staves that went through those rings and those staves were to be put upon the, the shoulders of individuals and they were to carry the Ark of the Covenant. Well, by the time of David, they didn't carry the Ark of the Covenant on staves. Rather, they put it on a cart. A new cart. But they disobeyed God. And as they were bringing that Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, the animals stumbled. And as a result, the cart swayed. And the Ark of the Covenant began to, to, to fall and teeter. And so Uzzah, who was behind the uh, cart, reached up his hand to steady the Ark of the Covenant so it wouldn't fall. Do you remember what happened to him? He was struck down dead. Struck down dead for touching the Ark of the Covenant. Here are people who are using their hands to slap the face of Jesus. Old Testament, touch that ark, you die. New Testament, slap the Son of God and you survive. First John says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and we beheld, and our hands have handled. It's amazing, the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. What are we to see? We're to see a man pronounced innocent by the judge. Notice verse 4. Pilate came out and said to them, Behold, I bring him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So, we're encouraged then to look at Jesus. Verse 5. Jesus therefore came out. As he came out, he was wearing this crown of thorns. His face would have been filled with blood. From the crown of thorns, from the pulling of the beard, in the book of Isaiah, it says that he was marred almost beyond recognition. They were to see a man that was severely beaten. They were to see a man that was mocked with his robe on, that was probably filled with blood and stank. They were to see this man innocently charged. And Pilate says to the crowd, Look at him. Look at him. Pilate was trying to evoke pity from the crowd. Mercy. Hasn't this innocent man suffered enough? Look what he's been through. I find no guilt in him. Pity this man. 
But instead, they yell, crucify, crucify. Which shows what hatred they had in their hearts. And it revealed their hearts for what they really were. Here is the sinfulness of these Jewish leaders more clearly revealed. In John chapter 18, verse 30, when Pilate goes out to them and says, What charge do you bring against Jesus? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an IV criminal, King James malefactor, NAS, an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Evildoer is the most little translation. If this man was not a man who did evil deeds, we would have never brought him to you. What a way to characterize Jesus. What is Jesus known for? The Jewish leader says, he's a man who does evil deeds. What evil had he done? He healed people on the Sabbath day. And these Jewish leaders had no pity for those people that had been bound in their infirmities, their blindness, their leanness for all their lives. They had no pity. They had no compassion. They had no concern for others. And so it was highlighted when Jesus came out and they had no pity on him. So, what response should we have? Well, one of the things that we ought to do is we really ought to pity Jesus. We should be emotionally touched by all that Jesus went through. I think in evangelical circles there's a tendency to downplay the physical suffering of Jesus because of the spiritual suffering that he endured. And certainly the spiritual suffering is far greater than the physical suffering. There's no question. The greatest suffering of Jesus is when he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But nevertheless, Jesus was a man. An innocent man who was cruelly treated, who suffered physically and emotionally, and will ultimately suffer spiritually. We should have pity on Jesus, compassion on Jesus. And then it should be extrapolated out. You see, we should be different from the Pharisees. Not only should we be touched by Jesus and have pity for him, but we ought to have pity for all the innocent people who are falsely accused and judged. We should have a real longing for justice and a compassion for those that are mistreated. We should have a real aversion to mockery and cruelty. It should bother us when people are made fun of. We should distance ourselves from friends, people on the bus, people in school, that belittle and put down others and make them feel like they're useless. Mockery should be far from us. Certainly, 
We shouldn't treat each other with cruelty. The second thing we're to see in this passage is the obedience of Jesus. When Pilate says that this man is innocent, the Jews reply, he may be innocent of Roman law, but he is not innocent of Jewish law. Look at verse 7. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. So they were accusing him of blasphemy, which according to the book of Leviticus chapter 24 was worthy of death. They said he blasphemed. He should die. Notice what Pilate's response is. Verse 8. When Pilate therefore heard this statement, he was more afraid. More afraid. More afraid of what? Of the Jews? Of the Roman government? I believe the answer is of God. And of Jesus. For we find in a parallel account, Matthew chapter 27, which would have taken place before what we've just read in John chapter 19. When they therefore had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had delivered him up. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, have nothing to do with this righteous man. For last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. So his wife notified him of a dream that she had. And she warned Pilate and said, Pilate, don't have anything to do with this. Let this man go. He's a righteous man. Certainly his wife never talked like that before. Certainly she had never intervened for any other political malcontent. He put that in the back of his mind. And now, these Jewish leaders are saying, he said he's the son of God. Pilate was already convinced of Jesus' innocence. He had watched how Jesus responded to the scourging, the mockery, the spitting, all that took place. And so, Pilate, verse 9, he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Where did you come from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, Jesus' refusal to answer Pilate, who was trying to help Jesus at this point, infuriates him. Pilate therefore said to him, you do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus, how stupid can you be? I'm on your side. And you won't even answer my questions? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. Jesus proclaims God's sovereignty in this situation. He says, Pilate, you can do anything that God doesn't let you do. You don't really have power to set me free or power to crucify me. You're under the auspices of God. Now that doesn't render Pilate irresponsible. That doesn't 
negate his culpability. Pilate is wrong for what he does. And the scripture refers to it as sin. Verse 11. For you delivered me up to you as the greater sin. But Pilate is being sinful in what he does. But now the amazing thing here is Jesus comforts Pilate. Here is this man who pronounces Jesus innocent and yet has him beaten mercilessly. And this man who's ultimately going to give Jesus over to be crucified. And Jesus says to Pilate in verse 11, For this reason, he who delivered me up to you as the greater sin. Again, Pilate is not rendered guiltless, but Jesus compares what Pilate has done to what the Jewish leaders have done. And he says they have the greater sin. They have the greater culpability. They have the greater responsibility here. For a number of reasons. One, because they know more of Jesus' innocence than Pilate does. These Jewish leaders know that they have contrived these charges. They know that they have hired people to lie. They're very much aware that Jesus is innocent of these charges. They are more culpable for they have less of a concern for justice than Pilate has. Pilate nonetheless was guilty, but Jesus was comforting him. Now, I want you to know three very important things about Pilate. Three very, very important things. First, Pilate was convicted of his action. He knew that Jesus was innocent. And he knew that he should let Jesus go. And he didn't. But he was convicted of it. His conscience said, Pilate, you're wrong. His wife said, Pilate, you're wrong. He knew he was doing wrong. But conviction is not conversion. That conviction did not bring him to a place of salvation. Secondly, Pilate was afraid. And the scripture says that when he heard that he was the Son of God, he was more afraid. He believed that there was going to be some kind of consequence to this action. There was some kind of judgment that was going to take place. And Jesus even addresses the matter of judgment with him. Saying, the person who has delivered you up has the greater sin. But in so saying, he's identified what Pilate is doing as being sinful. And he's afraid. But fear doesn't equate conversion. You can be afraid. You can be convicted. You can believe that there are consequences to your action. You can even lay in bed at night 
and contemplate a hell and quake and not be saved. And the third thing here is that to a measure, Pilate is repentant. To a measure, Pilate seeks to undo what he has done. He tries to make the record straight. This parading of Jesus out there each time is intended to get the Jewish leaders to say, let Jesus go. So, to some degree, he's changing his thinking. To some degree, he is being repentant, if you will, in a sense of change of mind, change of action, change of heart. But repentance, turning over a new leaf, of saying, I've got to do better. I've got to live more righteously. Of saying, you know, tomorrow is going to be different from what it is today. Without confession and without seeking the forgiveness of God doesn't bring about salvation either. There are loads of people who want to start over. New Year's resolutions are extremely popular. For somebody just to sit here and say, I'm going to live differently. I'm going to change without seeking God's forgiveness, without seeking God's favor, without seeking God's enablement, without acknowledging that sin is lost. This passage teaches you can be convicted, you can fear, and you can even bring about a measure of change in your life without being generally converted. So the question is, of course, where are we? Where are you? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has the conviction of doing wrong? Has the fear that maybe, just maybe, after I die, there really is a consequence for my actions? Has the recognition that, you know, I, I really should be living my life differently, has that propelled you to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? Or do you live content in that knowledge? Unfortunately, Pilate lived content in that knowledge and didn't cry out to God for forgiveness. Jesus was obedient to the will of the Father. See, in this particular section, it's talking about the will of God. And that how Jesus is dying according to the will of God. If it were not for God's will, Pilate, you could do nothing. I want you to turn with me. Keep your finger here. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 50. It is in the uh, servant section of the book of Isaiah. A depiction of the suffering servant. It's a prophecy of all that's going to come upon Jesus. Isaiah 50. Through, of course, Isaiah 53, and we have that incredible 
portion of Scripture speaking of the crucifixion. But look with me at Isaiah chapter 50, starting with verse 5. Isaiah 50, verse 5. Isaiah 50, verse 5. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient. That's the emphasis. The obedience of Jesus Christ. I was not disobedient, nor did I turn my back. I gave my back to those who strike me, being scourged. My cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I'm not disgraced. Therefore, I've set my face like flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. He was obedient. Why did Jesus go through all this? Because of the will of God. Because it was God's will that he suffer. It was God's will that he be mocked. Because he was bearing the consequences of our sin. And he said, I will not shirk. I will not turn back. I will give them my back. I will let them pluck out my beard. I will allow them to spit in my face. Because I'm going to be obedient to my Heavenly Father. And so, in this passage, we have a series of contrasts. The contrast of Jesus with the Jewish leaders. The contrast of Jesus with Pilate. The contrast of humility. And the contrast of obedience. And you see, Pilate was disobedient. He didn't repent. He didn't come to faith. But Jesus was obedient. So what are we to see? As Jesus stands there in his robe and his crown, we are to see the personification of obedience. So what should our response be? Worship and praise. Worship and praise. I just realized that I didn't tell you what our response should be to the first one. I just went right in the application. The response was to be imitation. Imitation. As Jesus had pity, we are to have pity. But here, it's worship and praise. It's an acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God. It's to realize that He is behind lifted up. Philippians 2, one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Who being the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon himself the form of a servant. Was made in the fashion of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross, wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. We are to worship him. He's the Son of God. And we are to praise him. Jesus. Your obedience is breathtaking. Sinless. Sinless. Doing everything that the Father asked of him. And not shirking in any way. Worthy of our praise. Third, we're to see the kingship of Jesus. Verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat on the judgment seat of a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Tabitha. 
Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. Behold your king. We're to see King Jesus. But what a pitiful king. We're to see Jesus standing there with a robe, with a crown. Spittle on his face. Blood streaming. What are we to see in this king? We're to see a gentle king. In the triumphal entry, we're encouraged to see how different the kingship of Jesus is. In Matthew 21, 25. Excuse me, Matthew 21, 5. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the full of a beast of burden. At the triumphal entry, they said, look at Jesus. He's a king like no other. He's a humble king. He rides on a, a donkey. He doesn't ride on a big white stallion. And that donkey even is borrowed because he has no money. He is a, a king who is concerned about his subjects rather than concerned about himself. But how much more do we learn about this gentle king in a week's time? Moving from the triumphal entry to now, here is this king who stands at Pilate's side, beaten and bruised. A humble king. What are we to see? We are to see the utter rejection of God. Notice John 19, starting with verse 14. Now, it was a day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. So they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And now here are the most remarkable words that one can ever imagine. They said, We have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. Now let me put into context for you how remarkable that is. Look with me at John chapter 18, verse 28. Matthew 18, 28. They led Jesus, therefore, from Caiaphas, who's the high priest, into the Praetorium, which was the judgment hall for uh, Pilate. And it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the Praetorium in order that they may not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. For a Jew, they wouldn't even set foot into this judgment hall. It was considered to be wicked, unclean. They wouldn't even set foot on the ground. They stood outside and called for Pilate to come out to them. And all through this text, Pilate is going in and out. He's going to the judgment hall, coming out and talking to the Jews. Going in and coming out. Going in and coming out. They won't even set foot on the ground because it's going to defile them. And these same men are saying, we have no king but Caesar. Now, think about the Jewish nation. It's a theocracy, which means that the king of the Jews is God. He is their king. And they are to worship and still serve him. But there's still more irony. For notice verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. Why do they keep referring to the Passover? Well, what's the significance of the Passover? The Passover was celebration of God's deliverance of the nation of Israel 
from their bondage to Pharaoh. It was their liberation. They were free. And the purpose of that freedom was in order to serve God. Because Moses said, let my people go that they may offer sacrifice in the wilderness. God delivered them from the bondage of Pharaoh to bring them into service to him. And they were celebrating that event that very night. And the night that they're celebrating the deliverance of God, they say, we have no king but Caesar. They are outright turning their back not only on Jesus, their king, but God, their father, their king. That's how far their hatred has led them. Remember, they tried to trick Jesus by showing him a coin and asking the question of Jesus, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? Remember that? And Jesus says, show me the coin and whose picture is on the coin. He said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar, render unto God what is God. The Jewish leaders, many of them taught it's wrong to pay taxes to Rome. These Jewish leaders that were finding fault with Jesus are now saying, we have no king but Caesar. They're actually trying to outdo Pilate. They say, Pilate, if you let this man go, you're no friend to Caesar. You're not on Caesar's side, but we are. Pilate, we are more dedicated to Caesar than you are. Man. It's unbelievable where this ends up. Still, still, it certainly didn't start out there in the beginning of the day. But by the end, they have sold out completely in order that Jesus might be crucified. It's the greatest revelation of the darkness of men's heart that there is in the Word of God. They totally rejected God. Sobering. Sobering. Where are we in our understanding of Jesus? What do we see in that picture of Jesus standing there? I hope that you see Jesus as a king. So what's the proper response? Submissiveness. Submissiveness. It's an invitation to Jesus to be the king of your life. Knowing that he's a gentle king. A loving king. A gracious king. A kindly king. A king that serves not himself but his subjects. Have you consciously, consciously, dedicated your life to fulfill the will of Jesus? Is he your king?
Jewish leaders said, we have no king but Caesar. They didn't realize the bondage that they were under. Just like the children of Israel in the bondage of Egypt. And if we do not acknowledge Jesus as our king, we are under the bondage of sin. May we seek his deliverance. May we seek his provision. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask in your grace and your goodness that you would open our eyes of faith to see Jesus in his humility, in his obedience, in his kingship. Oh Lord, I pray that you would bring to fruition any conviction that someone may be under, any sense of fear for wrongdoing. Any sense of repentance and knowing that we should really live differently than we're presently living. Oh God, bring such a one to a place where they truly look to Jesus. And in looking to Jesus, know that their sins are forgiven. Know that he will give them a spirit of repentance. Know that he will do a work in our hearts and lives. Oh Lord, may people today be willing to bring themselves under the authority of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.